So Matt, which word becomes shorter when you add two letters to it? Okay, I don't know. Short. That's what I was going to say. (laughs) Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. <laughs> well, here we are again, Matt. How are you? We're back in the graveyard. Oh, yeah. You know, I I was talking on Twitter today about that, and even though, like, when we have breaks and stuff, it's nice to, you know, have mm-hmm. breaks and not, have, but I miss it. Like, oh, yeah. you know, there's just something homey about being behind a mic. Yeah. And I don't know why, <laughs> but I guess it, because we've it's, been doing this for so long now, every week, so many hours every week, we're sitting here behind a mic. I know. A year and a half. Yeah. Or even, even more. It's been a little more than yeah, that. Yeah, more than a year and a half. We're coming up on two years in October. Yep. So- Thank you. Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> you guys are the reason we've done this for two years. I know. We didn't think it would make it this long. We had hoped it would, but we didn't right. think it would. Right. So uh, all of the thanks and appreciation goes to you guys for not getting tired of our bovine scatology <laughs> and telling us to just lay off. Yeah, that's now, right. Ease up. There's that one guy that said that, but I don't listen to that one that's guy. That's right. I never listen you to know, that guy. Bill is not a good guy. <laughs> if your name's Bill and you like us, sorry, that's just a name I pulled it's out of my different mind. Bill. Yeah, it's not you. It's a different Bill. So we wanted to remind everybody that we do have new merch out. Um, some of y'all we have seen has, have already gotten that, and I'm a little jealous because I haven't gotten mine I, in I, yet. I haven't either, um, and it's, it's cool AF. It so. is. Cool as frogs. Cool as frogs. All right. That's what I thought that meant. Um, <laughs> we have a link on our website. Um, Ashley put up a link on our website. So big flashy link. Just go to graveyardpodcast.com. Click that link and it'll take you over there to buy it. So you don't have to go through all the tea public rigmarole to get there. Um, we are dark next week, but do not fret. We'll be back the week after that. But it is. It's a scheduled second dark week. Sometimes that happens when we have five months or five months in a We've week. We've got five months in a week. Yep. Or, you know, reverse <laughs> that and we have five weeks in a month. So back to our episode on time travel. Right, right. So we're going to have to do another one of those and revisit this five months in a week. But sometimes that happens and, you know, we don't want to have two dark weeks in a row. So what we're going to do is the following week we're going to do a Patreon-type episode for you guys. It'll be, you know, a little bit shorter, but a little more relaxed and, you know, different topics and that kind of stuff like we do on Patreon. Right. So you you guys will get to hear us be a little more freer and maybe talk about some topics that we don't usually discuss on the show. Right. So it, it's fun. We have a good time with Patreon, so... This will kind of, you know, give you a a preview of what that is like. So we hope you guys enjoy it. All right. So what are we talking about tonight, Adam? All right. So tonight 
we are going to get into talking about psychomantiums and a little bit about mirror gazing because you can't talk psychomantiums obviously without discussing mirror gazing and scrying and well, stuff like that. Well, of course not. Of course not. I'm um, just I'm just curious when we said the word psychomantium, how many of you out there knew what the hell we were talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some people went, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, yeah we went, got it. Wait, what? So that's what we're here it's, for. It sounds like a Batman villain. Yes. You know. Oh, it's it's the Joker and Psychomantium. Yeah. Batman versus Psychomantium this Saturday. Same bat time, same bat channel. But it's not. It's not. It's not a Batman villain, and Adam's going to tell us what it is. Right. So, uh, a little bit of preface for you. Um, Francis King says in, a, in his book, Mind and Magic, he says, With scrying, you may not be seen clairvoyantly, but just getting better acquainted with the contents of your own unconscious mind. So we need to keep that in mind when we talk about scrying and psychomantiums and mirror gazing that, you know, it it may not necessarily be clairvoyance that you're tapping into, but according to exploringtraditions.com, they say the purpose of a mirror as a magical tool, contrary to popular popular belief, is not to summon spirits and have them give you answers, place curses, or even spells. It is a tool used for self-reflection. In basic psychological terms, it can best be described as a form of psychoanalysis. So an individual will attempt to create a direct connection with the subconscious by suppressing the id and the ego. Yeah, so I'm looking at the man in the mirror. Mm. (laughs) That was dumb, but I like it. <laughs> so make that change. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, what what they're saying, you know, is that um, you you are it's a it's a form of like self hypnosis or or you know self discovery. Yeah. Because they say rather than restricting the unconscious to the confines within the mind. A, quote, seer is able to visually project the unconscious within the mirror. So they're projecting the unconscious visually so that whatever you're thinking about, or you may not even know you're thinking about it, but it can become less abstract and more physical by projecting that on onto the mirror surface and seeing it. Now, do keep in mind, though, that this is one train of thought for mirror scrying and gazing. This is not the whole of it um, because there are, there are a lot of theories and a a lot of stories about, you know, we we've talked about it before where Mm -hmm. souls can be trapped within mirrors because they act as a doorway. There's a lot of ancient, you know, spiritual context to mirrors and, we're not going to touch on all of them tonight because we'd be here forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are going to discuss some of the ones that pertain to the psychomantium itself. Now, they also go on to say that to take it a step further, um, within a mystical t- context, the unconscious is a direct link to our psychic interpretation and divine inspirations. 
So they say it's best associated with what Carl Jung described as the collective unconscious. Specific cultural archetypes, as Jung described, are able to be found universally through this collective unconscious or that common inner experience that we all share. And the projections are these archetypes such as angelic beings or demons are simple representations of one's inner self that can be projected within the mirror and directly confronted. Yeah. Now say that again in English. Okay. (laughs) So the collective unconscious, um, that is, that's something that we really haven't touched on, but, um, I do, I'm, I'm a nerd and I do a lot of reading. Um, and it's one of the things that I've, I've found fascinating here over the past six months to a year is that we all as a human species have memories and unconscious thought that everyone else has because our brains act more as a receiver and filter than they do as an apparatus to develop thought. So around you in nature and in the world, you have all this stuff going on and your brain basically picks up on like antenna picks up on stuff that's happening around you and it will develop then a thought within your mind from something you picked up on. It will filter out other things that are not necessary for you then. But if you look at different ancient cultures that, you know, subscribed more to the mystical thinking and, and would do the, the scrying and the different religious practices to open themselves up to the subconscious, if you notice, they have a lot of things in common. Yeah. and But they didn't have a whole lot of connection between each other. So pyramidal shapes in their buildings, you know, some of the gods that they sacrificed people to or whatever were very similar in nature to somebody on the other side of the world. So one of the theories is that that is a collective conscious or collective unconscious that they were tapping into that we Mm -hmm. have forgotten how to tap into because we have so much other stuff that is stopping us from hearing what the world or the universe is projecting to us. Yeah. Does this sound familiar guys? It should. mm -hmm. If it doesn't, then when you're done listening to this, go listen to our show about remote viewing because this idea is essentially the core of what remote viewing is right? in a way, right? maybe yeah. not exactly, but the idea that the human brain is just a big antenna. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you know how to block out all the interference, you can pick up on information from all over the universe. Right. Right. And that, that's exactly what that collective unconscious is. And it, it goes on a little bit to, you know, talk about memories, that we have that we all have that may pertain to like irrational fears that we have. Well, maybe they're not irrational fears because at some point in our evolutionary history, that was a concern that we needed to be worried about. Mm -hmm. Well, we projected that out into the universe so that all humans pick up on that. And we don't know why we're afraid of something over our heads. Well, it's an evolutionary thing that the world has stored as a memory 
that we are picking up on at certain points. And, you know, it's not an actual thought that we have. It's a thought that isn't getting filtered out by our receiver. This is kind of like when we had our discussion about the Thunderbird, Mm -hmm. that evolutionary, there was an evolutionary um, fear of, like you said, things over our heads, you know, Human humans can't fly, or in in the case of the Thunderbird, and that theory was that primates couldn't fly. Right, but there was a predator that could, and so they evolved this fear of things from above. Mm-hmm. You know, but you know, as you're saying, you know, you can extrapolate that into a lot of things. Right, and so to kind of pull it back into, you know, off of our weird tangent that we went on to um <laughs> sorry yeah it happens uh, this uh, episode has me thinking um which is a worrisome thing um but basically what what they're saying is that a lot of times this mirror scrying or or the psychomantium itself allows you to tap into that kind of stuff and allows you to see things that you normally wouldn't see um, but they say the mirror as a tool for psychoanalytical purpose functions solely through the individual. What an individual perceives through the mirror is solely based upon their perception and the very limits of their own subconscious. So this becomes reflected into the mirror so that you're opening up to subconsciously what plays out, you know, and, and it plays out virtually onto that mirror. Now, a lot of, like we were touching on, a lot of ancient prophets and soothsayers and oracles initially used bowls filled with water in which they would scry in, and divine answers to questions about past, present, and future events would come to them. Well, later, highly polished stones, such as crystal and quartz and obsidian, were used for basically the same thing. You just needed that reflective surface. Well, the first man-made mirrors used in ancient Egypt, Greece, and Rome were commonly made of sheeted metal. So it was pewter, copper, tin, bronze, or silver. They would flatten them into these round discs and make a handle. Um, Some had decorative designs inscribed on them, but the face would always be this highly polished and reflective surface. Now, the use of mirrors in Mesoamerican culture was associated with the idea that they served as portals to a realm that could be seen but not really interacted with. So they would use black obsidian mirrors for divination and conjuring, and they would use them in ceremonies to contact Tezcatlipoca, who was believed to be the son of the primordial androgynous god Omatil. Close enough. Close enough. Sorry about that. Um, in Aztec mythology, he was the brother of Quetzalcoatl, who you will know. Um, now, in this complex Mesoamerican creation myth, Tezcatlipoca ruled the first world of the sun, but was then overthrown by Quetzalcoatl. So that goes to, you know, that that's a whole lot of stuff that I just threw out there at you. But... That goes back to the what I was saying about the ancient gods. Well, if you look at Quetzalcoatl and Tezcatlipoca, look at their physical features, look at what they did, and then go look at ancient Egypt. 
some of their gods had the exact same features and and did the same thing. So where were they getting it? Perhaps it was the collective unconscious that they were tapping into getting into the scrying mirrors. Yeah. And that's where they came up with all of it. Because when we're talking about ancient Egyptians and ancient Aztecs and Mayans, we're talking about civilizations that were separated by an enormous ocean. Yes. With no real means to have communicated with one another. I mean, in in all practical purposes, they probably weren't even aware of each other's existence. Yeah. So, uh, and you're right. I mean, you you've all seen the 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 Mayan pyramids, you know, compared to Egyptian pyramids. You know, the the pyramid just wasn't you know just like hey, this was real popular around that time. Yeah, it's not, oh, that's the easiest shape to build. <laughs> I mean, you know, pyramids weren't trending on Twitter. No, <laughs> no, no. There was no Pinterest you know, board for building pyramids. Right. So, you know, there there was, there had to be some type of connection. There had to be some way for these two civilizations to say, okay, this design is what we, what we want to achieve. Mm-hmm. Either... They believed that it was it was divine intervention, or it, it was something they had learned from another source that we aren't aware of yet. Right. Um, but there was there was a communication there that went unknown. Right. You know, w- you know, when people study those two civilizations, they see the similarities. But like Adam said, there. You know they're so similar, and there's there's things about their gods that are similar. But where did they, where did they cross? Right, right. Because you, you know, look at like even the the orientation of all the pyramids versus north, south, east, and west in mm-hmm. the cardinal directions. A lot of them are pointed in the same directions. You know, uh, uh, so many degrees east of north, and you know it, it's just amazing. So was all this stuff coming from? a world unconscious world subconscious that we don't know about and that we can't tap into all the time now and maybe scrying maybe mirror gazing and the psychomantium is the way to do that well the ancient greeks were real big into mirror gazing and scrying and the ancient greeks actually were one of the first people to develop a legit psychomantium. With the ancient Greeks, it was a, a a well-known means of reaching out to ancestors for guidance. So this method frequently involved the use of a dimly lit isolated room with a mirror or reflective surface such as a pool of water. Now the Oracle of the Dead is a site in northwest Greece that pilgrims visited to contact the dead and learn of their future. It was built in the 3rd century BC. And the Oracle of the Dead included a complex of underground passageways and isolation chambers. It was also known as the Necromantian of Ephira. Pilgrims who were placed in these cells fasted and underwent sensory deprivation, exhaustion, and disorientation, all which were designed to create an environment to induce visions. But they had all that turkey to eat. Oh, God. <laughs> it's going to be one of those episodes, in isn't it? In my head. <laughs> in my head. There's ancient Greeks with the little... The buckles pilgrim. on their shoes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're trapped in these underground cells. Those weird, big, black, 
uh, uh, black rimmed hats I'm, I'm, and I'm stuff. In, I'm in fourth grade. Yeah, it's all right. We <laughs> we love you anyway. <laughs> so they they also would wander through these dark passageways and a and this stone labyrinth. Now, after several days or weeks of this, they were ready to meet the souls of the dead. So they descended to what was called the sacred hall in this underground cavern where they were given hallucinogenic leaves or seeds to chew. Now, the pilgrims, not those, Matt, the, the, <laughs> the pilgrims then gazed into this large copper cauldron filled with water where they saw visions of the, the dead in the dark reflective surface. Now, in this heightened state with the hallucinogens, it was said that the, the dead friends and relatives sometimes even emerged from the reflective cauldron and appeared as if they were physical beings. Now, very little was known about these Greek psychomantiums until 1958, when there was an archaeologist named Sotio, Sotirios Dakaris, and his team uncovered a series of small underground rooms connected by a passageway that led to a main chamber where they found all the remains of these large copper cauldrons and they were ringed with pools of what would have been water had they not been dried out. Um, so they, uh, they actually got to observe firsthand the Oracle of the dead that was spoken by spoken about by Homer and Herodotus. So that's how far back these went was Homer and Herodotus were writing about them. And, you know, it's believed that, the, the spirits of dead relatives and stuff would enter the collective unconscious after they died because that's where all memories and all thoughts and all people went to and returned to that would then feed the living information or give them guidance or whatever because they knew everything being in that unconscious place. So yet another you know, reason to maybe try this, uh, or maybe not. Yeah. So brings a whole new meaning to the phrase, keep my memory alive. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, being, being forgotten, um, you know, especially in ancient times, being forgotten was a, a bad, yeah. bad deal. Yeah. It ended poorly for you. Right. You know, you, you wanted to, to leave a mark, you know, and, and maybe this was why. You know, you're, it, it, it allowed your spirit to live on if your memory remained. Right. If people remembered you, you were able to stay in that unconscious place mm. and connect with them again. John D., who we've touched on a little bit before, in the 16th century, he was this famed English mathematician, astronomer, astrologer. And he actually used an ancient Aztec mirror to make contact with the dead. Now, D studied alchemy and divination, and he kind of straddled the worlds of science and magic. Um, he would make extensive use of these mirrors while pursuing occult interest. And the reason that we've talked about him before is because he showed up in another episode. Um, he was an official scryer or crystal gazer for Queen Elizabeth I. Now, John D's mirror was this really shiny jet black obsidian mirror. And it wasn't much bigger than just a standard hand mirror that you can find now, but it's circular, had a whole board handle at the top. It was dark, really reflective black, and it was forged from volcanic Mexican obsidian. And it was brought over to England from Mesoamerica. 
So they, they don't really know exactly how D acquired it, you know, but he, he was, uh, being that he was with Queen Elizabeth a lot, he did work as emissary to other countries and stuff. So he may have come across it and somebody may have given him that as a present or and, whatever. You know, I know John D, he had some connections. I mean, he could get some stuff done. And, you know, when we, we talked about um, his relationship with Queen Elizabeth the first in our episode on astrology and the impact he had, I mean, she credited him with saving her life. Right. So he, he had some connections, so he could really, he could really get a lot of the material that he would need to do these type things um, because he knew the people that could get it. Right. He had power and influence and yeah. knew people who had more power and more influence. I mean, you know, in ancient times and even in like, you know, the, you know, 15, 1600s, you know, you hear about these people that were not rulers, but they were very close to mm -hmm. rulers. And oftentimes they held more power. Right. Because they weren't bound by the crown. Mm -hmm. or the throne you know they they could they could venture into the seedy underbelly of you know wh whatever the you know the 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 area of rain was you know they they had the ability to get down and dirty so again like i said john d had this ability and he could he could make some stuff happen and he could he could get in touch with some pretty swarthy characters right um and did you know, to to further his study. Right. It was said that this mirror was used by D for scrying with the help of at least three different psychics. Barnabas Saul, Edward Kelly, and his own son, Arthur D. Now, D used the name Shoestones or Cristallo for a lot of his scrying devices, um, I guess, to keep it kind of under the radar so that he didn't get called out for heresy or you know, witchcraft or anything like that. He would he would use these for, you know, the, the long process of receiving the instructions of who he said were angels to establish the Enochian language and the magic system associated with that angelic, angelic language. Now, the dark mirror was supposedly a channel between worlds where a person could see the images revealed by the gods. It was also where somebody could see his dark self or his dark reflection. And it was an integral part of the use of the mirror to master your dark reflection and become a master of the clear mirror. So before you could move to a bright, shiny, clean mirror, you had to, it's basically like the yin and the yang, the, the dark and the light. You had to have mastery over the dark stuff that you saw in the black mirrors because we talk about black mirrors before and probably we'll touch on them more in other um, episodes. They're not always associated with good things. So before you could graduate into doing anything else, you had to be able to control whatever you saw in these dark mirrors, supposedly. Now, one of the questions that has been brought up after D's time with people looking back into it and researchers and everything who were studying D and his scrying is that what effect did an ancient Mesoamerican mirror have on the occult rituals of the 19th century? Was there an enhancement of the occult practices 
or was he trying to force a new set of practices onto an object that was already designed for other purposes? Was D's scrying hampered by the fact that he's using a mirror that was designed to contact other ancient gods and he's not using it for that? Or was it working? And he was misinterpreting what he was seeing because it's like you've dialed in a radio to something and you haven't changed the station, but you've passed it off to somebody who doesn't speak that language. And they're trying to then understand what they're hearing. You know, could it have affected his scrying? And a lot of people think it did. Mm -hmm. Ancient Egyptians did use scrying in a lot of their initiations. And I wanted to touch on this a little bit. There's not a whole lot of information on ancient Egyptian mirrors and stuff like that. But since we just did that last episode, I wanted to touch on this a little bit. Um, They did use water scrying, dream scrying, oil scrying, and mirror scrying. And they loved their mirrors, you know, because the ancient Egyptians were very focused on their looks. So they had the mirrors around. They made a lot of them. So why not use them for scrying? One legend states that the goddess Hathor carried a shield that could reflect back all things in their true light. So from this, she allegedly fashioned the first magic mirror to help you see. So her shield, because it showed you the true things, was what apparently ancient peoples learned to make a mirror from, and that would be the reason that we started making mirrors was not to look at our pretty selves, but to look and find the true meaning of life and and see things. All right, so let's kind of take what Adam has taught us up to this point and talk about how it's practiced in modern times. You know, people still do this kind of stuff, and I mean, you know, everybody has seen that 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 image, you know, the 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 Zoltar and you know the 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 picture of the of the gypsy medium sitting in front of the crystal ball. And, yeah. You know, the the wicked witch and the Wizard of Oz, you know, looking down into the the cauldron. You know, all of that stuff, you know, that's that's all a form of scrying. Right. You know, and building the psychomantium is just another form of scrying. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's not, it's not a means to, um, necessarily predict the future, see the future or look at the past or even, you know, spy on the present, which in all these, you know, all those examples I just gave, that's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, the wicked witch used it to find out where Dorothy and the scarecrow and they were, Right. you know, the, the, the medium is is gonna you know look at it? I say medium loosely. You know, I don't I don't want to offend. We've got friends that are mediums. Right. Yeah. We're not. I'm not. I'm just. That's a term. I think a lot of people will know. But like, let's say fortune teller. There you go. Fortune teller looking into a crystal ball. They're gonna tell you something about your future. You should do this, or you know, they're gonna look into your past. Yeah. But I use modern, my kneecap because it's so shiny. I sometimes <laughs> scry with my kneecap. <laughs> How do you get your kneecaps so shiny? Uh, it's for uh, for scrying. It, it's my scrying knee. <laughs> Polish my knee. <laughs> oh, what the heck are you talking that, about? That, that, that's an innuendo <laughs> we don't need to go into. <laughs> that's right. That's right. 
So in the modern time, the the use of the psychomantium is for something much more specific. And the idea of bringing back the the ancient practice of using the the psychomantium was suggested by Dr. Raymond Moody Jr. Now, he sounds familiar, doesn't he? That's right. He does. So, <laughs> Dr. Moody is a philosopher, a psychologist, physician, and author, and he's most widely known for his books about life after death and near-death experiences, or NDEs, which Adam and I have discussed. That's where you know him and from. And that's where you know him from. But, to you know, Raymond Moody termed the coin, the, termed the coin. It's one of those nights, isn't it? It is one of those <laughs> nights. He coined the term, uh, near-death experiences or, or NDE in 1975 in his book, Life After Life. And, you know, this is one of these books um, that's just been around for a long time and it's had multiple editions and you can, you can go to a bookstore and buy it today. And if you don't have it, I suggest you get it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's truly interesting. It, it, it's it's not a when you look at it at first you're you're probably going to find it in uh, the religion section of, yeah probably. of a bookstore go to Barnes and Noble which, it's probably over you know there. for for some folks that may that may turn you off because you're like well I, I don't want anybody you know injecting their religious views on me it, it, that's really not what it is it's it's just this idea of when we die there's more right that there's more to come and and the book just goes into the evidences that Dr. Moody has seen that will that shows that you know this isn't it mm-hmm. you know uh, re- regardless of what religion you are right, or what faith right. you are don't, if, don't if take you it have as religious. one at all yeah it's it's just a matter of saying once our our bodies here on earth are gone then our spirit lives on in some fashion Collective unconscious. You got whatever. it. You got it. So he is. He studied. He studied uh, Homer and Herodotus. You know, he studied the ancient Greek um, psychomantium. He he studied the ancient Egyptians. He he went through all of this to to bring it back. Essentially, now, like I said, he's he's written you know best selling books, but you know, just I mean, you can't even hardly count. The books on the afterlife, near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, coping with grief of lost loved ones, and most notably for our discussion tonight, communication and reconnecting with past family and friends from the other side. So Moody's Psychomantium is designed, in, in theory, to communicate with lost loved ones, friends, family, Someone that's passed over, this is a way for someone to communicate. Now, and, and, it, and it's not necessarily, I'm going to sit down and have a conversation with you. Adam just dropped something. Yep, sorry about that. He dropped something and then made a weird face. So sorry about that. <laughs> so it, it, it's not... It, it's not sitting here and saying, oh, I'm going to have a conversation with my dead grandpa. It's not that. It's just more of a way to connect, you know, with them. And everybody's experience is going to be different. 
You know, sure. if you give this a try, you know, it's going to be unique. But as Moody describes it, in a lot of ways, it's life altering. Mm-hmm. You know, essentially, it's like, you know, I, I've, I've had my eyes open to something I didn't realize was there. Very much patterned after the ancient Greek um, Oracle of the Dead. You got it. So Moody's work with the psychomantium on, on the surface may sound like it's a DIY Ouija board. You know, that we're going we're gonna to put this thing together, but we're going to use a mirror instead of a board. But you know we don't touch that. We don't touch that. But, but a Ouija board... You know, and this is this is my this is my analogy. So the Ouija board is like walking through a crowd of people looking for someone, you know, hoping that you may bump into a friend or family member. You may find someone, you know, but it's much more likely that you're just going to keep running into strangers. Yeah. A psychomantium is more like calling out a name and waiting for that person to answer. You know, strangers may hear you, but they don't pay attention because you're not looking for them. And if your friend or family member is close, they may hear you and answer. So it's it's much more specific. You know, everybody's seen the Ouija board. You know, it's like, does anybody want to communicate? Mm-hmm. You know, with a psychomantium, you're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put out all this stimulus, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna let someone that knows me communicate to yeah. me. Hey, Uncle Bill. Yeah, I'm. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna force it. I'm not gonna dial the number. I'm going to put myself in a position where I can, I can hear them talk to me. Mm-hmm. I can hear them communicate. So using a psychomantium, it's not a game. And according to Moody's work, it can be used effectively to process grief, especially when the loss was sudden or there were unexpressed feelings while they were alive. Now, Dr. Moody explains that the sessions with his modern-day psychomantium weren't just an effective method to contact the dead. They quite literally, like I said earlier, change the lives of the users. Healing wounded relationships with the deceased and reshaping the way that they saw the world. Now, that's a bold claim to say that just just doing this, can it, it can change your outlook on the world and your life, the, the meaning of life, Everything, you know, so, you know, he, he's saying, you know, this, this could shatter your belief system, you know, by doing this in a good way, you know, and, and, you know, he's got numerous examples of people that have done this. And, you know, my, my recommendation would be start, start with that book, Life After Life. If, if you, if you've got a, if you've got a few hours to kill, <laughs> you've got a long plane ride or something like that, or you're going to go on vacation. Driving to Texas like I do a lot. Yeah. And this kind of stuff interests you, then, you know, pick up this book because it, it, it's, it's very, very interesting. His, and it's not something that you're going to sit there and read through and go, this is a bunch of crap. Mm-hmm. It, it's very compelling. And you'll be surprised that, you know what how you'll feel even after reading the book right hillbilly horror house returns june 1st with season two glad you can make it man thanks me too so we're back here huh i haven't seen him myself but a lot of the guys are saying they see someone up there staring at them through that window 
Holy Mary, Mother of Jesus Christ. Matt, you, you see that, right? She's my wife. I'll protect her. You cannot protect her. Please, I know, I know, it. I'm trying. Make it stop. Get out. What? Get out. Fine. You kiss my ass. I'm out of here. She's the one that caused the accident. That's it. I've had enough of this. It is time to end this shit. So, you know, why would this uh, psychomantium that, that Moody has developed, why would it change your life? Why would it be so um, groundbreaking? And, and, and here's an example. So someone grieving the loss of a sibling, um, they might be having a harder time just g- getting through it. Maybe they're harboring some guilt that's associated with the loss. Maybe there was a secret that they needed to share and they never had the opportunity to share with that person. Or, or maybe they just, they didn't get that opportunity to say goodbye and, and, and find some, some closure. I know that's a cliche term now, but, but, you know, you know, to think, you know, I, I, my last conversation with them was, was so meaningless. Mm -hmm. You know, if I had known that was the last time I was going to get to talk to this person, you know, I, I would have shared more. Right. You know, and, I think everybody has experienced that at some point. In yeah, time. We, we take that for granted a lot. You know, yeah. it, it's that again, like you said, the cliche thing, it's like, don't take for granted any moment that you have because it could be your last. That's you right. Know? But you can't help but do that sometimes when you're like, hey, babe, we're out of toilet paper. Can you pick up toilet paper? You know, yeah. and so then you think, well, my last thing was talking about butt paper to this person. Yeah. You know, well, that can stick with you. Even though that that is just, you know, it's not anything bad. It's just life. It's what it's you part, do. Yeah, you it's, know, it's part of life. And 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 I think we've all experienced something that, you know, as as the analogy I use, a, that was my last M M&M. and M. If I had realized it was the last one, I'd have sucked on that one. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, if I had known that this was the last time I was going to see this person, I would have done things differently. Mm-hmm. You know, I. I it would have meant more. Yep. You know, but I mean, it's it's bound to happen. If it hasn't happened to you, I guarantee you that it will. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're gonna lose somebody close to you that you just were like, I, why didn't I say this when we left? Why why was that the last thing we did? Because you didn't know, right? You didn't know. But according to Doctor Moody, that pain, you know, maybe even guilt can cause you to have a lot of trouble working your way through the grieving process. And this use of the psychomantium can help. You know, it can really, really help. So it can allow a person to feel more at peace and accept the loss now that they were able to communicate those emotions. So let, let's talk about Moody's psychomantium. You, you've you've heard a lot of examples of what the ancient ones were like and what was used and the different mirrors and so forth. 
let's talk about what the modern moody psychomantium you know looks like now we called it the moody mantium the moody mantium (laughs) (laughs) he'd probably hit me for doing that but he he's i wouldn't look in any mirrors right he gonna come back and be mad at me after Mm -hmm. that so now in his book reunions visionary encounters with departed loved ones moody explains how he took inspiration from the greek necromantians and other shamanic mirror-gazing traditions from around the world to construct his own psychomantium. And he documented some 300 people uh, who all had experiences with this method. Now, in a room blocked with blocked from sunlight, Moody put a chair in front of a large mirror hung on the wall, which was tilted at a 45-degree angle. Now, I've heard two different things, but it makes more sense to me the way this is the way I believe that the mirror is actually angled upward instead of downward. Um, so you, you cannot see yourself. Yeah. I, I think either way works as long as you don't see your own reflection. Yeah. You can see into the mirror, right. but you, you're not, you're at an angle so that your reflection is not in the mirror. Right. A lot of the ones I've seen lately, um, have been the top of it tilted towards you. Yeah. So I've that seen you're that looking too. kind of at the floor, mm-hmm. but you don't get a reflection of yourself. But yeah. again, like you said, tilting the other way works as well. Either way, you got to have it at an angle so that you're not looking at yourself. Okay. That's how all my mirrors are. <laughs> <laughs> what about the ones you have curtains hanging over or you have big taped X's on? Yeah. What are those? Just, just stay away from those. Oh, okay. Okay. If so, something waves, don't wave back. <laughs> just give a thumbs up and keep moving. Yeah, just keep moving. Throw the peace sign and keep going. So behind the chair in Moody Psychomanium is placed a low wattage lamp. And that's meant to replace the the glow of a, of a single candle. Okay. So before sitting down in the Psychomanium, subjects were asked to focus on a loved one who had passed. And then the gazing session would begin. And some of the results are pretty amazing, you know, but because these are such personal experiences, a lot of people don't share them openly. Um, Dr. Patient confidentiality as well. Yeah, true. I mean, you know, you know, not only was he, you know, a psychologist, he was a physician. And so he's he's not just, you know, he's not just playing, you know like with a Skinner box, you know, where hey, we're going to shock some rats and this is yeah. well, no, he, he's actually trying to help these. He's people. not the inquirer just writing right articles about everything. So out of the subjects, a quarter of them stated that they had made contact with the dead, seeing and even speaking with their loved ones in the mirror's reflection. Now about 10% of these subjects even said that spirits actually came out of the mirrors and touched them. Now, in nearly a quarter of the cases, the contact with the dead did not occur immediately, but within 24 hours of the psychomantium session. So this was a situation where they they went in there and they made initial communication. And then later, something happened to them that made them feel like, oh, I, you know, I, I made the call 
and now I'm receiving the communication. Yeah, so they basically so it, it like didn't left happen the, while they were inside. Yeah, left the line open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They forgot to hang it up. Yep. And then you hear from the other room, "Hey, dude, <laughs> hey, hang up the phone." I, I did see a post on um on Reddit where the guy says, "Hey, does this thing have a goodbye?" on it or an off button or yeah, anything right. like that what what are we, are we opening a portal here yep. how can i stop this <laughs> That's I, right. I gotta turn it off there is no esque button yeah escape get yeah, okay sorry <laughs> now now even more amazing was nearly every single subject strongly stated that their reunions were not fantasies or dreams but insisted that they were real events with elements of physicality. So there was there there was the 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 visual interpretation mm-hmm. of a loved one. The maybe the scent or the touch. You know, there there was some kind of physical aspect to their experience. Right. It wasn't just well I just had a feeling that my grandmother was in there with me and I you know, you you heard their voice, you saw their face, you felt their touch. You know, you smelled their perfume or something like that. There, there was a physical aspect to something is in inside with me. Right. Okay. Now, Carla Wills Brandon is a marriage and family therapist and a grief expert. Now, she has over 30 years of experience researching and studying cases of communication from the afterlife. In 1997, she visited the home of Raymond Moody. Now, experiencing firsthand his psychomantium, which, you know, at the, at this time, he had three built in his house. So he would invite people in, you know, essentially have dinner parties for these people that came to him for, for this help or for this experience. I would love to do that. Oh, wouldn't that be awesome? Go to Raymond Moody's house. Yeah. And experience his psychomantium. Because I'm I'm still kind of leery about building one in my own house. Yes, I agree. Because that portal thing still kind of spooks me. I, I agree. <laughs> so, okay. So now, now uh, Carla recounts her experience in her blog. So what, what I'm about to tell you is, is quoted from Carla's blog. Um, I did kind of take out some extra uh, information that, wasn't necessarily just made the story longer. Right. So, but everything I'm about to tell you is quoted from, from Carla Wills Brandon's blog. Within just a few minutes of mirror gazing, just looking into a plain old mirror hanging on a wall about four feet away, a mist, clouds, or a blue gray something started pouring out of the mirror. A swirl of mist touched me on my right wrist and I became frightened. Now, at this point, Carla says she began to feel overwhelmed and had the sensation that there were many visitors, many visitors making their presence known. And it was kind of shaking her up. I believe it. She says, she goes on to say, I began to say, I began saying to myself, what can I learn from this over and over again? The mantra kept me grounded with moments within moments. It was happening again. This time the mirror first became black in color and then light. After this, white light tinged in blue started sprinkling down upon me. I wasn't scared, and I could even hear Moody talking on the telephone in the next room. Then the sprinkle of light turned into balls of light. Now these balls started, these balls of light started to get bigger, and it looked like they were going to 
They were trying to take form. One began to take the shape of a head, and I thought to myself, I wonder if that is my grandmother. One of these bluish-white orbs, not very large in size, hit me on my left side near my heart area. Though it felt like a light push, it literally took my breath away. It was as if the light had gone through me. With this, I suddenly felt very peaceful, joyous, calm, and intensely loved. I also noticed the temperature in the psychomantium was suddenly cooler. Then, I saw more light around me and I was inundated with unlimited, unconditional love. Because it felt as though things were happening rather quickly, I sensed urgency for contact from whoever was reaching out to me. With this awareness, very thin etheric streams of whirling white energy came toward my left side, touching my left arm, as if in an, in an embrace. Now from this soft, cool touch, I felt pure amazement and joy. Now, if, if that wouldn't make you feel better about mm-hmm. something, I don't know what would. Right. And so there's, there's, I won't say there's nothing frightening, you know, this, this being the first real experience that, um, she'd ever had, it it would, it would be disconcerting at first. Oh, sure. I mean, because you, you've got to go into something like this with a little bit of skepticism. Yeah. I mean, I mean, everybody would, I'd think, I mean, for anything that you do like this, the number one rule is you got to keep an open mind. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't believe that anything's going to happen, nothing's going to happen. Sure. So if you keep an open mind, it's 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 going to be more likely that your experience will be positive. But even with an open mind, you you still got to come into this going, is this for real? Yeah. I mean, you know, so there's there's going to be an aspect of, oh, what's happening? You know. But then it changed. And as she she felt, you know, the, the presence around her, you know, she felt that love and that joy and that calmness. You know, so if you if you consider what Moody's work has focused on, you know, someone that had a lost loved one that maybe they had unfinished business or there was an emotional bond there that needed to be healed. Mm-hmm. To, to go under this experience and to feel that, to feel that everything is okay. Everything is going to be okay. Or that feeling of, you know, my, my brother forgave me for something that I did and I never got the opportunity to apologize before he died. I mean, that, that whole sensation of, all right, I can move on. You know, I mean, imagine how healing that would be. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you've been carrying that around for some time, it, you know, it literally like a weight off your shoulder. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, I, I have personally seen people that the rest of their lives are completely ripped apart by grief. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for, you know, for somebody like Dr. Moody to at the minimum say, I have something you can try that may help you move on. You know, that's that's crucial because, I mean, honestly, in 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 today's society, somebody loses a spouse, you know, somebody loses, a you know, a partner, you know, a close friend and they just can't get through it. What what do you usually find out about that? 
their doctor prescribes them, you know, some type of medication, you know, here, right. this will help. This will take the edge off. This will help you sleep at night. You know, this will, you know, elevate your mood a little bit. Better living through chemistry, you know. Uh, this doesn't involve any of that. Right. You know, this actually is healing. It's personal in, growth. Instead of masking. And yep. don't get me wrong, you know, I, I you know, look, I, I work in the medical field. I got I've got absolutely no problem with people taking medication to help them with, you know, issues that are going on. I don't have a problem with that. But, you know, this is I, I'm always looking for options. Sure. I'm I'm always looking for you know, a non-pharmaceutical option. Well, and sometimes the the pharmaceutical option may not help. That's true. And if it I mean, doesn't help you, then maybe something like this, psychomantium therapy or or something like that, that might be the one thing that helps you. Sure. You know, and for other people, it may not help. It may be the pharmaceuticals that actually help. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that in a nutshell is is Moody's work. And, and that is what the people that he has worked with have experienced. And this is what you can read about in his books. You know, so so again, you know, I, I encourage you if if this kind of topic interests you, if if grief or, you know, trying to connect with somebody that has passed or you, you want to get that connection with a loved one from the other side. Pick up his book. Start with life after life, and and see. Maybe this is something that's right for you. Sure. Okay. Um, but now now we're we're gonna move on to something that's a little more um, I don't know, strange. Yeah. <laughs> Still psychomanium, but you know, we're not we're not really we're not really healing any grief here. Yes. <laughs> so I like this one because I kind of know <laughs> these people that are involved. So, um, this past February. February 2019, Kindred Spirits, which is a show on Travel Channel, um, had an episode where the hosts, Amy Bruni and Adam Berry, were contacted by the uh, the owners of the Farnsworth House in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Now, the Farnsworth House is one of these places that you can Google, and they've got all kinds of, you know, Haunted tours. It's a bed and breakfast. You know, there's documented spirits there. I mean, I'm I'm surprised Adam and I am. It's probably deep down on our list of places yeah. to to talk about. But it's one of these places. And Amy and Adam had been there multiple times. But the owners contact them to tell them there is a new entity downstairs. And it's gotten really aggressive. And you don't and, hear that often that there's a new entity somewhere. That's right. But. You know, these folks are so used to, you know, the the spirits that dwell inside this house. Something that's acting out is, you know, we've never we've never had this before. You know what's going on? There must be a new spirit here. Right. So they contacted Amy and Adam. And so Amy and Adam came out to do an investigation now. Through the course of their investigation, they they came across a mirror that was, you know, in the downstairs and they considered it, but then they kind of backed away from it. They're like, eh, you know, like, well, there was a mirror. Well, maybe not. Oh, the mirror. Eh, I don't know. So they decided they would go to another house and they went to a house that's essentially across the street. 
um, that they have been to before. That they also had been to before. And their idea was they they were going over there to to ask, you know, do you know anything that's going on here? And so that's exactly what they did. They asked the spirits in the other house, hey, there's something going on over here at uh, at the Farnsworth place. <laughs> do y'all know anything about it? You know, we, we kind of we've we've talked to you guys before. Yeah. Maybe, you know, there's a new tenant downstairs over here <laughs> yeah. that's causing some trouble. Yeah. It's like going and asking your neighbor about the new guy on your cul-de-sac. <laughs> you know? Yeah. What do you know about this guy? Yeah. You know, Where's he's he from. He's kind of weird. He listens to odd music. Yeah, he was digging out in his backyard at midnight <laughs> last night. What's... But but they had a they had an EVP where they asked this question and they said, where did he come from? And. You hear the answer, mirror. So now Adam's like, we're back to the mirror. You know, he's like, oh, okay. So we we can't ignore the mirror anymore. Right, right. So, so they go and they get the mirror and they recruit the help of some people we've mentioned on the show before. Uh, uh, Greg and Dana Newkirk. They're the, great people. Yeah, the owners and operators of the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and Occult. And if you know them personally, tell them to please reach out to us. We would yeah, love to do something with them. Yeah, we'd love to talk them. to them. Um, so, so, so Greg and Dana are on the show, and Greg tells them, you know, there's one really good way to investigate a mirror, and that's build a psychomantium. And, and even Amy says... Now, I'd heard of psychomaniums, you know, but I didn't quite know enough, you know, but we decided to go forward with well, this. Well, it, leave it to Greg and Dana <laughs> to know about the all the aspects of that stuff. I'm telling you. So, to me, this is a monumentally bad idea. <laughs> if you're going to build a psychomanium... Don't use a haunted mirror to do it. <laughs> yeah, that another spirit has said somebody came from there. That's right. <laughs> so, so now we're going to put you in this position with a mirror that you know has already got a spirit living in it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like so we slow down. Yeah, <laughs> let's go to the dollar store and let's buy. Let's see yeah, what right. that one says. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> let's, let's just leave this one be. But they did it anyway, and Amy and Dana both uh, report seeing the uh, a white mist that that Carla Wills Brandon uh, describes that she mm-hmm. saw in the psychomanium at uh, 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 Raymond Moody's house, and then a face appeared. Now, I'm not going to spoil the episode, but uh, they they were able to identify the face through some old photos. But the thing is, is, is Dana and Amy both were able to identify the same person. So you got Amy hadn't told Dana. That's right. Anything about it. Exactly. So now you've got two people verifying that something was witnessed, you know, during this psychomantium session and that they saw the same thing. So it's not a hallucination. You know, we've talked about this. People don't hallucinate the same thing right normally not yeah. a mass hallucination there is no such thing yeah as people hallucinating the same thing the exact same thing you know so you know it's it's it was really kind of amazing because I, I i watched this you know knowing what i had already researched about how psychomaniums work it was like 
that's impressive. Mm-hmm. If it's not mocked up for TV, which, you know, I, TV is TV. It's a TV show. It's entertainment. We're going to build it up. Um, if you've ever watched Kindred Spirits, it's a lot less yes. flashy than a lot of the other ones are. That, that's why you know, I actually like them is because yeah. they're not, you know, you can't ever be 100%, but because they're not as dramatic and, oh, my God, what was that? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Every five it, seconds. Adam's right. It does make it a little bit more interesting and compelling um, when you watch the show. And when when you and there's actually there's a there's a side show. That sounds bad. Side show. <laughs> that really makes it sound like a circus. There's there's a companion video um, for a lot of the sh- the episodes, which are just, you know, short clips and Amy and Adam you know, just one-on-one, just talking about what was going on. Yeah. You know, when, as you watch the episode, they're saying, now, when we were doing this, this was going on in the background and it was freaking me out. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't talk about it on the episode, but this is what was going on. So it's stuff like that. So, you know, watching those with this show, it's, it's really kind of cool. Um, so I, I, I tend to, I tend to lean towards, yeah, this is, this is more believable. But when you when you bring in Dana and Greg Newkirk, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. these people, they're I mean, you know, their livelihood is based around investigating and, and collecting and, and showing off this kind of stuff. Yep. I mean, that kind of gives it some validity to yeah, me. That's what I was about to say and, is you put Greg and Dana in it. And I'm I mean, they are not ones that I think hoax anything. Yeah. You know, they I. If they say they experienced something to me, I believe them because they'll tell you if nothing happened. Right. You know. Right. And see, that's that to me has always been the downfall of these shows. It's like, you know, if nothing happened, then tell me nothing happened. Yep. It doesn't mean I don't believe. I'm probably going to believe you more. Right. You know, but, you know, I I don't believe, you know, well, you know, Waverly Hills Asylum is not haunted because that nothing happened when they went there. Well, that's probably a good chance, but it doesn't doesn't make it any less haunted than it is. Right, exactly. You know? And if, you know, it's like you and I have talked off air before. Um they, you know, haunted places, uh paranormal activity does not happen when you want it to happen. It that's doesn't right. happen all the time because if it did, we would have proof of it right now. And we wouldn't be having discussions like this because everybody would believe. Yeah. But because there is doubt, because it doesn't happen all the time, then, you know, you can't you can't tell me that every time somebody goes into this place within five minutes, something's happening. Mm hmm. You know, so because that doesn't make good television. Well, see, that's true. So so you've got to mm-hmm. you got to weigh some of these shows. And, you that. know, I, I'd be happy if a lot of these shows just kind of said, hey, look, we we did, we were we were going to do an episode on this place and we did an investigation and we nothing, nothing really occurred. We didn't gather any real evidence mm-hmm. or we were able to debunk what evidence that the people had. So we just kind of said, "Eh, you know, we're not going to show you this one, but right. we're going to tell you that we did it and nothing happened. Right. You know, I'm like, okay, I dig that. I can get behind that. And then with uh, the kindred spirits, there's a lot of um, episodes. I haven't seen them all, but there's, a, you know, a lot of times that they will do something similar to that. They'll, you know, go in to investigate a house and they're like, we couldn't find 
you know, at the activity that these people were talking about. Yeah. You know, we we got some weird sensations and the medium picked up on some stuff, but we couldn't gather any evidence of this. Yeah. So to me, again, that makes kindred spirits a little bit more believable. Yeah. But jumping back to to Greg, who the real point of this recommended them, <laughs> they use a psychomanium. Now, Greg and Dana, who who own the the traveling museum of the paranormal and occult, um, they actually have with their traveling museum a portable psychomanium. Now they have exchanged the quiet room for headphones and white noise. So essentially the, the, the dark, the black walls, the darkened room is for sensory deprivation to eliminate outside interference. Okay. So, so you can focus on what you're doing. So they're just, they're just doing it with, you know, white noise, noise canceling headphones and all that stuff. Same effect. And and they're educating the public on the history and practice of therapeutic mirror gazing. So, you know, I like them so much. That makes it that makes it even more, you know, interesting to me, Mm -hmm. you know, that, you know, they're they're not just going. It's it's not a sideshow. Yeah, it's not a parlor trick to them. Right. I mean, they're not like, you know, they're not going to slap a pair of headphones on somebody and go, see what you experience inside our psychomantium. No, it's. Hey, you know, if if you have if you've lost somebody, if there's somebody if you if you've lost a spouse, if you've lost a parent, a child, a, a close friend, you know, and and you feel like you want to try to communicate with them and repair some bonds or just know that they're okay, come try this. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you can have an experience here that. May make you feel better, right? Right. You know, I think, and I think it's pretty awesome. I mean, that they're traveling around the country, you know, introducing this to people that have probably never, ever heard of it. Certainly not considered ever doing it. Yep, I love that. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. As we say on Graveyard Tales, what do you believe? Have Have you ever had an experience or had you know a a friend or family member? that has done mirror gazing or, you know, had an experience with, you know, self-reflection or meditation, um, anything like that, where they felt like they made that connection to the other side, that they felt that connection. And I mean, and, and what I'm asking here is they, they were trying, you know, I think a lot of people have had, you know, experiences where that was my grandmother, you know, that was my, you know, I had an experience with my uncle. You know, felt like he came to me in a dream. Um, Mine was I my granddad. I didn't ask for that, and I mm-hmm. wasn't trying. Right. This is where you're trying. You're, right. You're reaching out. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put my mind out here, and I want, you know, this person or these people specifically to let me know something. Let me know they're there. You know, let me know they're 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 still here and they're still around me. They're a part of my life, even though their physical body is not. Right. You know. So like Matt said, let us know, you know, we, um, we haven't ourselves sat down and, and done any type of psychomantium scrying anything, but we had, uh, after this, we have seriously given it some thought and it may happen. Yeah. 
Uh, Matt and I Not may at my actually, house. yep, my house either. So we got to get a third party. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still a little nervous yep. on that. <laughs> so we're gonna have to find somebody that will let us do it there, and we'll give it a shot. <laughs> That's right. So hey, um, if you want to talk about this topic more, get in our Facebook group. Mm-hmm. I mean, this thing runs itself. I mean, I, 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 I got up this morning. And I look at a post where somebody had po- you know, posed a question or was asking for help. There were already thirty five comments, and it wasn't there when I went to bed. Yep. You know, uh, man, so I love it, our Facebook group. It's awesome, and it, it is so family. active. Yeah, it, it's it's like a big family. And uh, and and Adam and I are just are just members now. And we're the know? we're the weird uncles of the family. Yeah, that's you right. Know? Like I like I tell folks, look, you may not see me posting there very much, but I guarantee you that I'm reading what you write. Um, He's a stalker. That's right. <laughs> it's usually at five o'clock in the morning when I'm up drinking coffee. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, get in our Facebook group, and you can find us on other social media, Instagram and Twitter. Adam Adam is the chief tweeter, so if you tweet at hey, us, watch, Adam's, oh. Adam's going to tweet back at you. I thought that um, was rude. Never and, mind. And go to our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com, and Ashley's put a new link on there so you can jump straight to the merchandise with our with our new, uh, our, our new uh, um, what do you call it? New artwork, yep. I guess. And we got new artwork, and it's fantastic. There's a couple new pictures up there of Check us. Check it out. Yeah, and there's a few new pictures of us, you know, if you want to look at our ugly mugs. Um, but you can also um, listen to the show um, and you can find information on becoming a patron. And, you know, at the end of every show, we like to thank the folks that have donated so generously to the show. Yes, thank you so and much. And I'm going to beat this dead horse, rate and review us on iTunes because it just brings more people to the graveyard. It really does. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. See you soon.